Well, welcome to another episode of the No Feeding Tubes Show. I'm your host, Yvonne McLaren, and I'm here to help you live your best food life following or during head and neck cancer treatment. Thanks for listening. It's great to have you here. This is a lived experience and one that I think is better shared. And if you like the show, consider supporting it by showing me the love on the show link. Every little bit helps. So grab your favourite beverage or your walking shoes and let's get started. Welcome to episode 8 of the No Feeding Tubes show. This is Yvonne McLaren, your host. And we're a couple of days away from the Easter break, so I thought it was relevant uh, and crucial in many respects to talk about how to eat in social situations or during the holiday period in general. If you like this podcast, um, I just ask you to support it by showing me some love and in the show notes there's a little button there that um, gives you the opportunity to provide a two, five, ten or more dollar support amount. Uh, keeps things ticking along here. But what I want to talk about today are three top strategies for you to take and perhaps engage with over the Easter weekend. The first one being um, owning up to and recognising your own physical and emotional well-being. And what I mean by that is uh, after head and neck cancer treatment, nothing becomes spontaneous when it comes to eating and drinking. It's always very mindful, as you've probably discovered. So... I guess what I'm suggesting here is really have a think about whether your body and or your mind or both are really up to the task of going out and actually socially eating. I'm here to tell you that it does get better and it does get easier, but in those early days, and uh, I was fortunate that COVID came in, so it gave me a bit of an excuse not to go anywhere, and and subsequently made me feel better about not going anywhere. But if you really can't manage it and your body's saying to you, look, you're just not up to this, then don't do it. Learn to say no. Learn to look at the parameters of what's available to you. And if you just can't do it because of you don't know who's going to be there or you just don't feel comfortable trying to eat, speak, breathe in a social setting, uh, then don't do it. Explain to people why you can't do it, that you can't do it at the moment because of the restrictions that you've got, the side effects that have happened to you doesn't enable you at this time to attend one of those social outings. Now, if over Easter there's a wedding or an engagement or some other family function that you feel somewhat compelled to be at, then there are some other strategies that you can incorporate that will make that process a bit easier for you. One of them is to not focus on the social, uh, sorry, on the, excuse me, on the 
a food and drink part of it, but on the social aspect of it. Shift your mindset away from the food and beverage and actually focus on the social aspect of it. Um, And that might mean either eating before you go or as well as when you get home or making sure that you talk to the host uh, and research what's going to be available food-wise and is there anything there that you can manage. If not, can you make, prepare and bring something that you can manage? So do all that in advance and work out what's going to be the easier option for you. The other thing you might be able to do, and I did this on a number of occasions, go to things for a short amount of time. You may not have to be there for the entire length of the time, but go for a part of it. That way you're not missing out on everything all the time. So that's where I say um, own your own physical and emotional well-being. Make the decision for yourself. Learn to say no if that is the better choice for you at the time of your journey. And and you could be at a very different uh, path and timeline in terms of what I'm up to, I'm three years out, so it's a bit different for me. I'm now very much going out and working towards travelling again, even with my new eating um, dynamics, if you like. Planning ahead is the second thing. Um, you know, I, I've i also been um, known to go to a function or go to an event or go to a barbecue and I actually put on a small plate what I can eat and then I'll take that plate away from the main group of people, uh, go and eat in the kitchen. I know it sounds very antisocial but if you're going through this you know what I mean. Take that food away and eat it in the privacy of the kitchen or the lounge room or another room or away from the bulk of the people. Have a glass of water and your napkin. And if you're still tube feeding, you're probably going to want to do that anyway. Be away from the main group and go and eat in the privacy of a a separate room or a separate area. Uh, Clean your mouth, your teeth, do all that and then rejoin the main group again. And have the other trick that I used to do was have a wine glass. I never had wine and um, I always had some other either just water or I had a coffee mug with warm water in it or uh, if you're just holding a wine glass, sometimes that just gives you the feeling of being involved with it. I mean, I'm only just starting my wine journey again now and as I say, it's been three and a half years and and I come from a wine background. I live in Australia. I live in South Australia. I live near the Barossa Valley. Um, so wine is very much a part of my life and it's been a part of my career too. So that was a huge change for me. I'm now learning that different varieties uh, have different ways of affecting my tongue, whether I can swallow it, whether I enjoy it, what the ramifications are a couple of hours down the track. But at the moment, for example, I can drink uh, Riesling I can drink rosé and I'm just, just starting to manage the um, 
what we would say are a gutsier red like a Shiraz or a Cabernet Sauvignon, which we're known for here in South Australia. So that's taken me three and a bit years to get to that point. I mean, essentially, I don't really drink alcohol anymore, although I did enjoy a very cold beer a few days ago after a nice hike that I did. So the first thing is own your physical and emotional well-being. Take charge of that. Learn to say no. Uh, And equally learn to say yes. You've got to give yourself a little bit of a push too. And and, um, sometimes you just need a bit of support and a bit of motivation to go out and try different things. It can be incredibly overwhelming, I know. Uh, but if you have things in place and you know you've researched and you know that you've got a bit of a game plan, you can actually get out socially with people, amongst people, and have some sort of a life, uh, a food life. And the third thing that I just want to touch on today is, um, and I call it the dreaded question when you're out and about, And the dreaded question is, have you tried this? Oh, my heart sinks and I have, I look at the person who said it and go, oh, okay, here we go. Um, (laughs) Sometimes waiting staff do this in restaurants or cafes and the intention is heartfelt and supportive, but you and I know And if you're listening to this and you don't suffer from head and neck cancer treatment, we know it's well-intentioned, but we know by looking at something whether we're going to be able to manage it. And because each and every one of us is different, what works for me won't work for that person, which may or may not work for you or may or may not work for the cousin that you know that's been through head and neck cancer. We're all so different. It's such a bespoke journey for each and every one of us. Um, My ENT surgeon was quite surprised that I could eat potato chips or crisps. I had this absolute hankering for salt and vinegar chips not long after I'd gotten the peg tube. And uh, I went through valleys and troughs of eating chips and he was most surprised that I could manage the sharpness and the and the edges, the cutting edges of the chip, I didn't care. <laughs> I wanted that texture, flavour in my mouth. When you have gone months and months or weeks and weeks or days even without any texture changes in your mouth, A, you start to lose the ability to manoeuvre it with your tongue, swallow it. Um, there's a whole range of psychological and philosophical psychological and physiological uh, changes that that take place when you are removed from that. So the have you tried this question can result in a bit of a doom and gloom, but equally I would say this, don't completely write it off either because I've been given some brilliant advice by well-meaning people and you you have to support and encourage that because this type of cancer treatment is so little known that I support and applaud anyone who tries to make 
the process easier for for people going through it. It, it is so disease focused as opposed to patient focused that I applaud and support anyone who tries to make this journey a little bit easier for people and particularly in a social setting. So if someone in a restaurant or cafe starts running their finger down the menu and trying to find something for you and you're thinking, this person has no idea. Um, We know they don't, but humour them, support them, encourage them because you never know. You may get a small pearl of wisdom and generally... It's something that you haven't tried that you think, mm, I don't think that's going to work. But sometimes you just have to because there is literally nothing else on that menu that you're going to be able to work with. Uh, I've stepped away from children's menus um, but and I do tend to tell people everything that's going on and I do it in a quick elevator uh, speech. And that elevator speech goes something like this. Oh, hi, X, Y, Z. Look, I've had head and neck cancer and the treatment, which which has meant that I've lost a bit of my tongue. Um, I have real difficulty swallowing um, and I, I can't breathe, talk and eat at the same time. So um, I need to make some decisions based on that with your menu. And nine times out of ten people go, oh, okay, uh, and quite often without me prompting, they will go and talk to the chef or the people preparing the food or talk to me or come back out and say, do you reckon this might be all right? And I can guarantee you they want to help. Not only does it make them feel good, it also makes their establishment look good. (laughs) So don't be afraid to do a two-minute elevator pitch. Don't be afraid to... Listen and try things that are offered or or given to you as an option. You might learn a new cuisine. You might learn a new food dish that you've not been able to eat before, but now you can or you've never considered to try it before. So all those things uh, help towards eating your best food life uh in a holiday period, Easter, for example. Um, So look, I hope you've got something out of that. And I think in terms of working out what is going to work for you when you're socially eating, you have to do some research. You have to know what your criteria is for you you have to know where you are on your pathway you have to know what resources are available to you you have to have some dutch courage and you have to be honest with people and i think if you coordinate all that are prepared to fail are prepared to be a little bit embarrassed you can slowly edge your boat out from the shore And I hope that you've got some great little points from this episode. I'm going to sign off by saying um, eat well, continue to experiment and research. And I hope you have a great Easter. And uh, if you're listening to this after Easter, I just hope you're having a great social eating life. And don't forget, if you like the show... um, 
please consider supporting it by showing some love on that lovely show button that says uh, little heart. Okay, take care everyone. Happy Easter and I'll see you in the next episode. Signing off, eat well. <laughs>